If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. A Woman's Honor, a dark historical romance novel by Andrea Stewart. Chapter 5 The next day Eleanor found that she had five girls and four boys in her room when it came time to teach letters. Apparently some of the Keeps boys found their sister's mysterious code of ink on paper something they needed to know. Eleanor considered teaching them how to do sums as well. Because paper was now in short supply, and because the ink was all but gone, she made them write with charred sticks on broken planks salvaged from elsewhere in the keep. The result was a floor black with soot, and nine children who could write their name. After three hours of noisy instruction, she sent them off to find other employment. In truth she had no idea why she was teaching these children anything. It was surely a waste of time when she would be gone come spring. But when they were so eager to learn, and so happy with the result of their labor, it was hard to send them away. And perhaps it would help them in some meaningful way. Once the children were gone, Eleanor went in search of Alan. When she found him, he was walking across the courtyard before the front gate. She had to run to catch up with him. Sir. She said as she touched his arm. He looked down first in surprise, then in suspicion. Please put me to work. I have nothing to do. I have no time to entertain you. I am not accustomed to being idle. If you simply must be amused, Mary's mother aft says there are too few hands in the kitchen. Alan strode off through the open gate without another word. Eleanor sighed. Working with Mary's mother would have been her last choice. She turned and walked slowly toward the kitchens. She was happy to find them bustling with activity. Perhaps she could go unnoticed. She stepped into the room and walked toward a pile of dead chickens waiting to be plucked. Before she had picked one up, there was silence all around her. She turned to find twelve pairs of eyes staring at her. Mary's mother left the spit where she had been basting beef to approach her. Mary, turning the spit, sat still and silent, eyes wide. What do you want? Mary's mother demanded. I'll not have you strutting about me kitchen while there is work to be done. If you please. Eleanor said. I will work in the laundry, or the scullery, or anywhere you will have me. When Mary's mother said nothing, Eleanor added. Alan said you could put me to work. The woman's face turned even redder than it already was, and she looked furious. Then she glanced about at the serving women that surrounded them. She scowled. Do the chickens then? she said. And mind you clean them inside and out with salt. She stomped away, and began shouting orders to the other women. Eleanor plucked, gutted and cleaned the twenty birds, then stuck them on several spits to go over the fire. Then, she scoured her work area with salt and water as her mother's cook had done. Mary's mother, seeing that she was finished, put her to the task of kneading bread dough, then had her take them up to the floor. Before long it was nightfall, and she heard the great hall filling with men. The women were loading platters with food and she moved to help them. Nay, said Mary's mother, moving to stop her. You cannot serve the men. It would not look well. 
Eleanor nodded. Of course she couldn't serve her husband's men. As his wife, they should serve her. In her father's house she had sometimes served at her parents' table, but here she was above them all. Before she could say another word Mary's mother had turned away to enter the great hall. Eleanor made herself a plate and returned to her room where she ate alone. The next morning Eleanor rose before dawn and crept down to look out the castle gate. In the half-light she saw that some twenty trees had been felled. Some had been split to create half-logs. She wondered what kind of structure Alan planned to build. Without finished lumber that had been smoothed and cured, whatever he made would be crude. There would be gaps in the walls, and unless those gaps were filled the structures wouldn't hold any warmth at all. Eleanor was still standing near the gate, meditating about this, when she sensed movement behind her. She turned to find a young man advancing. He had only one hand, and in that hand he had a sword. She screamed, turned to flee, and found there was nowhere to go. The gate was closed. She spun back around to find him jabbing the blade toward her midriff. His face was as white as snow, eyes dark pits in his head. She screamed again, then tried to grab his arm. In a moment she was on the ground, and he had fallen upon her. He tried to lay the arm without a hand across her throat while she struggled to hold the arm with a blade away from her face and chest. He had just managed to angle the tip of the blade toward her when someone jerked the boy up by his collar. Rob, you fool, what have you done? Alan shook the young man by the neck like a dog shaking a rabbit. He had a blade. He pushed me down. Eleanor couldn't catch her breath. She rolled onto her feet, dimly aware that she was covered in mud and that her dress clung to her like a second skin. He wanted to kill me. She finally managed to say. Sure and he did not. Said Alan. What? Did you not see him? Eleanor demanded. Suddenly she noticed that she was surrounded by a dozen men, all staring at her fixedly. Rob would not try to kill his lord's wife. Alan gave the boy an extra shake. For he knows the duke would hang him. Eleanor crossed her arms over her chest, and tried to force herself to be calm. Alan clearly did not want the boy dead. On the other hand, she couldn't very well overlook an attempt to kill her. Christ! This keep was a madhouse. What was he trying to do then? She asked, wondering what explanation Alan could possibly provide. Rob has neighbored himself since his father died and he lost his hand. I see said Eleanor. She looked around at the men, most of whom looked ready to take up where the boy had left off. She was past knowing how to cope with all this, and she was starting to shake. Whatever Alan wanted would probably be what the Duke desired, and she had promised to be accommodating while he was gone. Well, I hope he feels better soon. She said with as much sincerity as she could muster. Then she stumbled out of the circle of men and ran back toward her tower. In a few minutes she was up in her room seated on the floor before the fire, shivering. Half an hour later, Mary appeared to tell her that hot water was coming to fill her bath. Rob's a good boy. The little girl said tentatively. I am sorry he accidentally knocked you down. Eleanor hid her surprise. Was that to be the tale? He has not been well since his papa died, and he was very sick after he lost his arm. He did not mean to hurt you. I am sure you are right, said Eleanor. Can you make sure that the children come late today? After my bath? Oh yes, my lady. And can you run and make sure they bring soap along with the hot water for my bath? Eleanor didn't want to hear about poor Rob anymore. She could understand that the young man was ill and addled, but
but she was also very aware he had almost managed to run her through with his blade. Yes, my lady. And then Mary was gone, darting down the ladder like a rabbit down a hole. Eleanor rested her head against her knees. God, she wanted to go home. In fact, she wanted to wake up from this bad dream that started almost a year ago, when the Duke burnt the first village. Nothing after that made any sense at all. She could not reconcile the Duke, his men, their desperate straits, the lawless actions she knew them to have committed, with the people she lived with day to day. They were not the devils from hell she had imagined. They seemed petty, uneducated, and tragically human. Nothing she did here mattered. In fact, her every action seemed to make things worse. If she remained in her tower, and spoke to no one, no one would try to kill her. She would be free from hard words and cruel barbs. But she could not live her life in a cage. When her bath water came, Eleanor found herself wondering if it was possible to drown oneself on purpose. Things would be so much easier if she wasn't alive to trouble anyone at all. Two weeks came and went, and then four. The Duke had still not returned to his keep. That said, Eleanor did see some of the men who had gone with him from time to time. They appeared at the keep as escorts for small groups of people who had been collected from burned-out villages and isolated farms across the Duke's estates. They came carrying what little they had, escorting livestock, pulling wagons filled with grain, or seed, or small children too young to walk on their own. Eleanor often rose early to peer out the castle gate to assess the ongoing construction. Alan had his men building long low huts, using whole logs culled from the forest. To create each side of a building, he planted four vertical posts, one pair on each end of a desired wall. Then he lay thick logs atop one another between these vertical posts. He ordered the women and children to fill the gaps between the logs with mud and straw. He created roofs for the long huts using logs sawed in half. He covered the uneven roof with straw and thick layers of peat cut from the marsh. At each end of a building he fashioned a hearth made of stone which offered an outlet for smoke and a safe place to cook. The structures were very crude, but the walls were very thick and the roofs seemed reasonably waterproof. Eleanor found herself believing they might last a single winter and that was all they had to do. Eleanor spent the mornings with her group of now fifteen avid students. Mary proved eager to drill children on lessons she had previously mastered. It was strange to watch the little girl walking others through the letters she had learned. She seemed older already to Eleanor, and filled with almost religious zeal. But then she was learning to read and write which almost no one else in the keep could do. Somehow she understood this was important work and something she should commit herself fully to. In the afternoons Eleanor helped in the kitchens. She noted that there was no more food to cook, and every day there were more people to cook for. Mary's mother made no attempt to know her better, and seemed to resent her daily appearance. But she put her to work when she came, and that was enough for the time being. Dusk one evening found Eleanor walking across the courtyard. Dinner was going on in the great hall, but she could not bear to eat with the Duke's men. Her reverie was interrupted by a sound that curdled her blood. There were screams coming from outside the gate. She ran toward the sound and on the other side of the thick iron bars she saw an old woman on the ground. She was covering her head with bleeding hands, as children threw stones at her. Open the gate! She shouted. When nothing happened, she looked to the gatehouse. A soldier, not much older than she, was eating his supper. Open the gate! She ordered again. The soldier looked away, ignoring her. She ran toward him. You listen to me. You open that gate or I will have the duke hang you. 
Do you understand? I am mistress of this castle and whatever you may have heard I speak with his authority. You open the gate or you will rue the day you were born. She could hear the woman screaming still, but her voice was losing strength. I got no call to take your orders. He said, looking uncomfortable. I was told we needn't do as you say. By who? Tell me his name and I will have him hanged too. Or open the gate. The man put down his food and began turning the wheel that raised the huge metal grate. Eleanor was under it before it was a quarter of the way up. She ran toward the children, most of whom were Mary's age or older. Since they had been collected from the Duke's lands she knew none of them. When she stood between the old women and the small army, the children looked ready to stone her as well. Only the appearance of Alan and the gatekeeper sent them away. The old woman was unconscious. Eleanor turned to Alan. I want her placed in the room below mine in the tower. She said. They say she is a witch. Said Alan. Eleanor shook her head in amazement. Look at her. She is just an old woman. If she were a witch those children would be dead. Alan looked at Eleanor for a moment, shook his head, then called up to the battlements. In a few minutes men appeared to carry the woman into the keep. The Duke returned the next day. Advance scouts appeared first, warning that he was arriving with thirty head of cattle and two dozen pigs. Alan ordered that the courtyard should be cleared for the livestock until a larger pen could be built outside the castle walls. Eleanor, having set Mary to the task of caring for the old woman until she was well enough to care for herself, was standing in the stables when the Duke rode in. He looked dirty and exhausted. Who did you kill to get all those animals? She asked as he threw his reins to a stable boy and dismounted. Several thousand Saracens. He said. I got them the easy way. I paid for them. Paid who for them? That must have cost a fortune. Merchants in Coventry. First I approached our neighbors. None were inclined to help. Lord Armstrong was particularly unkind. He is an old friend of yours it would appear. Eleanor stepped back into the shadows as the Duke pulled his saddle off the great bay. She watched him hang it on the wall of the stall. I would not call us friends. She said. He offered for me once. My father turned him away. The Duke leaned against the wall of the stable, pulled off his glove, and used a grimy hand to rub his right eye. He didn't look at her as he spoke. He claims you were betrothed. Eleanor said nothing. Your father swore you had no pre-contract. He looked up. But Lord Armstrong remembers differently. Eleanor chose her words carefully. Well, since we are married, what he says is of little import. So I said to him. And he said you and I had no true marriage and our vows would be annulled. Well, that was an interesting turn of events. Eleanor saw the jaws of the trap closing on the Duke just as he did. Have her for a true wife, or have her married to another. Both options were unacceptable. Eleanor would not accept him. The Duke would not have her, and yet he was determined to take her lands. Did you see my father? She asked, by way of changing the subject. Yes. He seemed well enough. We had little to say to one another. I suppose that is true. Said Eleanor. If you will pardon me, my lady. Here he gave her a mock bow. I will depart to get clean and have some food. I have no doubt that you have been, or will be, involved in such mischief as will bring us together again soon. Without another word he left her and she heard cheers when he entered the great hall. That night, unable to stay away, Eleanor crept down into the great hall to see if she might find him waiting for her. 
It was a silly notion, for she knew he must be exhausted, and yet she felt she had to see for herself. The great hall, more full than it had been for weeks with the return of his party, was dark except for a low fire that burned on the giant hearth. It took a moment for her eyes to adjust and for her to make sense of what she saw. The duke was indeed awake, and so was the young lady on his lap. He was kissing her with every evidence of passion. Her neck arched with her desire. His hand had unlaced her bodice and had entered her gown to mould a breast in hard fingers. As if aware, somehow, that he was being watched, he looked toward the doorway. Eleanor made no move to step out of his sight. While she watched he stood, holding the girl in his arms. He passed by Eleanor as he entered the hall, and a moment later she heard his step on the stairs. For her part she returned to her tower with her face red and her hands shaped into hard fists. She hated the duke with every fibre of her being. Hours later, the duke stared up into the darkness over his head. The girl he had taken to bed still slept beside him, well satisfied for the time being, though morning would surely rouse her passion again. A pity he couldn't forget his wife. He had kissed Eleanor weeks ago, and the memory still burned in his flesh like a brand. She had welcomed him at first, a virgin surrendering to her first kiss. She had accepted his caresses with wonder, even ardor. The thought still stirred him over and over again. Then she had turned on him, questioning his intelligence, his loyalty to his men, even calling on his men to betray him. She was a pretty lass, but so wild and broken she could not be controlled. Yet he had more than enough experience with passion to know that there was something more to what he felt. He wished her father had accepted his suit when he first approached to ask for her hand. If the old man and that arrogant brother of hers had considered what was best for the future, for their estates, for the girl herself, things might have been different. If he could turn back time, he would not accept no for an answer. He would marry her at any cost. He shook his head. What misery lay in these spinning thoughts. The world would go as it willed, not as he would have it. I do believe I summoned you over an hour ago. He said. He had climbed, once again, into her bower. Alan was at his side. I do not come when you call. She said. I come when I want to see you. She was working on another dress. She had only two now. One had been damaged by the unfortunate Rob during his attack. While I was away, you were attacked. He said. No. She replied. No what? The duke inquired, looking irritated. So you were not attacked and the many people who have told me that you were are all liars? Yes. She replied. Alan here seems to think you were attacked. The duke looked to Alan for confirmation. Alan looked uncomfortable. Well. Said Eleanor. Perhaps he should tell you all about it. He appears to know more than I. The duke shook his head, and went on to another topic. Also, it appears you offered to hang a man on my behalf. I told your gate man to open the gate or you would hang him. That is true. She said, not looking up from her sewing. An old woman was being stoned, I meant to put a stop to it, and I did. Yes, I have seen her below. So our little talk is at an end. She said. Well, it will be when I remind you that you are not to give orders to my men. He said. You have no authority here. She did look up at this. I shall try to remember that. She said. The next time an old woman is being murdered on your doorstep. Do. Said the duke. And one other thing. He said as he turned to go. Stay out of the kitchens.
No. Eleanor replied as he put his first foot on the ladder. He removed it, then turned around. His sigh was audible. My wife cannot serve in the kitchens. While I am your wife, you may rest assured that I will spend a great deal of time there. She said. I cause you little enough trouble, and you have no reason to stop me from being of service if I wish. I accept my place as prisoner. I accept that you will consign me to a nunnery and take my father's lands which you have no right to own. I accept your many offences against me. They are part of our bargain. You may accept me in the kitchens for the short time I am here. The duke listened, shook his head, looked at Alan, then shrugged. As he made to descend the ladder again, the duke said. You are the most obstinate woman I have ever met. I will not argue with your rendition of facts. If you do impose yourself on the kitchen, do not annoy the cook. I am very careful not to upset her. She is an admirable woman. I like her very much. When I go home, I would like her to come. Our cook would love to learn some of what she knows. What do you mean, go home? The Duke had stopped his descent again. At midwinter I promised my mother that we would visit her. Said Eleanor. Just as you instructed. I thought your cook might like to go with us. My wife will be staying here. Said Alan. Your wife? Eleanor asked. Mary is my daughter. Said Alan. Eleanor felt her cheeks burn, but she managed a nod. How had she not known that? Her serving girl was the daughter of the Duke's right-hand man, not just another child in his keep. You are a lucky man, with such a clever wife and daughter. I am. He replied with a slight bow. Your Duke should be so fortunate. She said, lowering her eyes to her work. The Duke said. God save me from intelligent women. They are so frequently impossible to please. Yes. Stupid men should wed only stupid women so they can sire stupid children and create the miserable dynasties they so richly deserve. The Duke and Alan, stunned, said nothing. My father would warn you to be very careful what you wish for, my lord. But I pray you get exactly what you say you want. The next time Eleanor looked up, Alan and the Duke were gone. Despite Eleanor's avowal to the Duke that she would return to the kitchens whenever she pleased, she found herself disinclined to go back. Mary's mother, Alan's wife, didn't want her there, and she recognized the Duke's mistress as one of the women who worked alongside her. And in any case, why make the effort when it clearly gave her no benefit? The children she taught appreciated her presence, and she would continue to instruct them as long as they showed any interest at all but it was long past time she accepted that she was nothing more than a prisoner of this castle. Her efforts to be useful served only the Duke's purposes. She knew she could never please him and she would not choose to please him if she could. Since she had so much time on her hands, she took an interest in the old woman she had rescued. Her name was Maggie and she was very wise. It was easy to understand why people thought she was a witch. She seemed to know a great deal about healing. As soon as she was well enough to speak she had requested herbs from the woods. With Mary's help she brewed a salve that seemed to stop the wounds on her body from festering. In fact, she recovered in record time. My mother had second sight, said Maggie, one day as they sat together. My father was grandfather to Lord Armstrong. While he lived, we had a house and a small garden where my mother grew herbs. She practiced healing. When she died, I tried to carry on. Then how came you to live on these lands? Eleanor asked. She was stitching a new gown for the old woman. The one she wore now was nothing more than rags. The current lord felt no need to maintain his grandfather's bastard. 
So when my mother died, he sent me on my way. Since then I've wandered from village to village. Sometimes people pay me to heal, but when I cannot help them they say I am a witch. She paused, as if waiting for Eleanor to say something. When she didn't, the old woman spoke again. This should not be so. She said defiantly. I harm no one with what my mother taught me. I am sure you don't, said Eleanor. I have done much good in my time. It is not right that people should hate me, said the old woman, her hands kneading the rough coverings of her bed. Of course it is not. One day, perhaps, we will find a way to change their minds, said Eleanor. The old woman shook her head. I don't have the sight, but I know I won't live long enough to be welcome anywhere, or to pass on what I know. My mother's people were always well thought of, but their kind is long dead. I am the last of a strange breed, and the world will be happy when it is rid of me. Eleanor put aside her sewing and took the woman's hand. I am hardly a friend worth having, but trust that I am, indeed, your friend. We must hope for the best and plan for the worst. Mayhap we will find our way yet. When Eleanor left the room, the woman was sleeping, her face wearing the remnant of a smile. Eleanor, far from hopeful despite her words, climbed back to the top of her tower. After seven days, the duke appeared in her room. To her surprise, he was alone. Will not this private visit make it difficult for you to disown me? I thought we were never to be unattended. Alan is at the bottom of the ladder, and I will come no closer, said the duke. He was dressed in a loose white shirt and dark breeches. His boots were mud-spattered as though he had spent the day walking. The weather had turned cold and snow had started to fall. Perhaps he had been checking on the hundreds of people who now sheltered just outside his walls. I wanted to speak with you privately. So speak. She said. She was sitting on the floor before the fire, her sewing long ago set aside. Have you decided to vex me by not leaving your tower? He asked. Only the children see you any more. She shrugged. What did it matter whether or not anyone saw her? She was a prisoner here. Why should she pretend otherwise? Has someone done something to frighten you? He asked. Are you afraid to leave here? She shook her head. Why did she feel tears pricking at her eyes? She should find something cruel to say to him, should convince him that she was still committed to his destruction. But all she really wanted to do was to go home and never see him again. It was hard to believe that such a simple thing was impossible. He left the ladder and came toward her. He crouched down to look in her face. Are you ill? He asked. She shook her head, wishing he would move away. All she could think of while he sat there was of the way he kissed that woman in the great hall, how he carried her away to his bed. Well, I must confess, this is the most successful ploy yet. Leave me be, my lord. I trouble no one. I wait to be sent away. That is what you want of me. He shook his head. A slow hand came forward to raise her chin, and he leaned forward to kiss her. Her lips parted of their own volition, and she brought one hand to touch his face. When at last he broke the kiss, she wrapped her arms around her knees and turned her head away. She had shed tears for her brother, for her father, for everything they had lost. She had none left for herself. She had a hole where her heart should be. She heard the duke descend the ladder. Alain followed the duke out of the tower and turned toward the kitchens. The duke continued across the courtyard, now a mile from heavy rain. A hand on his shoulder stopped him and he turned around. James, sudden and furious confronted him. Yes? What do you play it with that accursed woman? 
You know what she is? As it happens, I do not know that I do. Mused the Duke. I know what I thought she was. A lunatic wench at one with the enemy that attacked us for a solid year. Yet another author of our grave misfortune. But that is not the creature I see from day to day. Leave off. You lost a son and I lost a brother to her sire's villainy. You must set her aside. Calm yourself, James. She remains my wife in name only. Then why do you go to her? Why do you speak with her? No good can come of it. I take no joy in it at all. She is a lonely and desperate creature. But, since you are concerned, I will make it your task to amuse her. You can play a game of chess with her now and again. Give her a moment's conversation. Since we all know what you think of her, we need not fear she will ensnare you. I will let you keep me safe from her wiles. You will not saddle me with her. I just did. And remember, she lifted no blade in any battle. Whatever crimes her father and brother have done, she has killed no one. She will never marry. She will never have a husband or a child. She has lost everything she ever cared for and everything she ever wanted. She has paid a heavy price in this war too. I have shown her little enough kindness, but I will allow you to show her even less if you like. The next afternoon James arrived in Eleanor's room, the crude chessboard and sack of pieces in his hand. My orders are to entertain you before dinner. He said. You may go. I do not need to be amused. The Duke says you can best me at chess. I have told him he is mistaken. Tell the Duke I will not play. No. Instead we will play a game and put it behind us. I have no time to run between you and the Duke carrying messages. He approached the hearth, sat down, and began setting up the board. After a time she joined him, because she was in truth quite bored. Eleanor was startled to discover that James played very well. It made her wonder how he had come to be so good at the game, but then she supposed that a soldier's life had many empty hours to fill. One could not be killing all the time. When she lost she said. You play far better than your master. He swept the pieces into the bag and collected the board. That is why he wins every time we play. Said James sarcastically. Eleanor looked at him in surprise. How can that be so? James looked irritated. As he stepped on the ladder he said. You are not too dull to see that he lets you win. A moment later he was gone. A woman's honor by Andrea Stewart. Voice recording copyright 2019 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music by Pavel Kanzenkov licensed from Pond5. For more daring love stories, please visit dark-romance.com.